Fraudsters typically follow the trends set by the fraud prevention companies. And as we start to make the changes, they start to adjust. But quite often they try to get ahead of us. And so that's why it's important for us to be good listeners and pay attention to that. Fraud has been a problem for centuries. And there have been bad actors and people with ill intent since the beginning of time. But what's different today is the tools and methods that fraudsters are using, particularly when it comes to perpetrating fraud online, are way more advanced than they've ever been. Both consumers and brands are in a constant battle against hackers and fraudsters who are gaming and attacking their defenses and stealing hundreds of millions of dollars. So to protect themselves and their customers, brands are putting strategies in place to limit their exposure to risk and stop fraud, hopefully before it starts. But that defense will only last so long because these fraudsters are always coming up with new ways to run their schemes. And oftentimes the defenses a company puts in place actually ends up creating a bad user experience for the very customer they're trying to protect. To talk about these crazy fraud issues in the world of e-commerce, I invited David Fletcher to the show. David is the Senior Vice President at ClearSale International, and he and his team are helping to create better solutions, fight fraud, and help e-commerce companies process more orders while giving users excellent experiences. David and I went deep on some of the hot topics in the fraud and privacy world, including the debate around two-factor authentication and what's happening on the dark web. Plus, I threw in a bunch of personal questions all around password protectors and your cellular service and all the things I've been wondering for a long time. Super interesting. Enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have David Fletcher, who's the SVP of ClearSale International. David, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to have you. So where are you calling in from, David? Where in the world are you? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I'm actually uh, just recently moved. I picked the pandemic to make a move. Uh, maybe not the best time, but great time to uh, get a good loan. Interest rates were certainly down. Uh, so just moved from the Washington, D.C. metro area, south and east a little bit towards mm-hmm. Ocean City, Maryland. I know Ocean City very well. I used to bartend there every summer because I'm from Salisbury. So, <laughs> well, then I got to tell you, I'm just on the west side of Salisbury. 
Really? So that's exactly wow, okay. where I am. Yeah, but when you say Salisbury, very few people know exactly where that is. Yep. Yeah, I have a couple of my sons actually go to Salisbury right now. Really? Cool. Yep. I was just on campus when I was visiting my parents a couple of weeks ago, and that has exploded from when I was there last time, which was yes. wild to see. Yes. Yeah, very well, much so. That took a turn for, I wasn't expecting that. That's great. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So to get more into your background, before we get into ClearSale, I want to kind of hear, you know, what brought you here? Because I see that you've been a CEO a couple times before at different companies. That seems like that's just who you are. So I want to hear a bit about your background first. So uh, in 2000, I started my first business and that's when uh, I decided, you know, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And at the time I was a VP of sales and marketing for a large systems integrator in Washington, DC, and uh, decided to venture out on my own and was in technology. So we were doing um, custom software development, some, some web development, because uh, in the year 2000, 2001 and so forth, web development was like a, a big niche. Um, it's not as easy as it is today back then. Um, and so we were doing a lot of software development, software testing, and so forth, and was fortunate enough to land a large contract with American Online, AOL at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we did all of the testing. So they, had, they needed a third party to come in and do their testing. We did all that testing for them. You know, that got me deeper in the technology. And as an entrepreneur, I had to better understand it uh, as opposed to just trying to sell it. Um, and so that really helped me learn more about technology and infrastructure and integration. From there, uh, I decided I wanted to, uh, so part of that business was acquired. So from there, I was kind of torn between, you know, do I want to become a sales coach, a consultant, try to become an advisory board member? And I wasn't sure where to go. And I ran into a friend that was a sales consultant. Uh, doing sales coaching. And he said, Hey, why don't you come work with me and we'll kind of build a practice. So that's what I did. Um, And that quickly turned into a marketing agency. Uh, So before you knew it, uh, we were an inbound marketing agency, a HubSpot partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had two sales guys running a marketing agency. I don't know how that (laughs) happened, but it did. It worked great. (laughs) Right. And, you know, so we did that for eight years and I missed sales. So I said, you know what, I've got to get back to the sales side. And that's when I started Maven. So my wife and I started a sales consulting firm. Uh, and my wife, oddly enough, is a marketer. But uh, she's match. that marketer that, that really understands sales. And so we started the sales consulting firm called Maven. And uh, then one of our clients was ClearSale. And ClearSale, uh, I guess after two years, said, hey, we want you to uh, come work with us full time. Well, we had an office, we had employees, we had other clients. I'm like, I can't do that. Uh, so we worked at a deal for uh, ClearSale to essentially buy out that part of the business that I ran. And uh, Maven still exists today with, with my wife, Shannon, running that portion, which is all marketing now. Mm-hmm. And um, I joined ClearSale as an executive. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up here. I love that. That's a, that's a good windy story, which I'm always all about. So I'm excited today because I haven't really talked too much about the topic of fraud, which is, you know, clear sales, bread and butter, like preventing fraud around e-commerce. And so I want to kind of hear, you know, a bit of details around, you know, what does the industry look like right now when it comes to fraud and fraud prevention? Because I think I have so many great brands on that I hear all the excitement of the companies growing and scaling, and we probably don't touch too much on the fraud angle of things. 
So I'd love to right. kind of hear like a bit of the landscape right now, like what kind of things are going on and where does clear sale come into the picture? With the pandemic and the way um, the buying has changed and the way that we've been forced to do more online, the e-commerce businesses globally are booming. Most mm-hmm. e-commerce businesses or sites have really grown through the pandemic. And a part of that means fraud has grown as well. So just as the opportunity is looking better and more exciting for the e-commerce company, it looks better and more exciting for the fraudsters. Mm -hmm. And sadly, uh, as the businesses grow, the merchants grow, they get more and more attention from the fraudsters. So what's starting to happen now, you know, it wasn't that long ago that fraudsters had to be very um, strategic in who they targeted and how they targeted them. Now it's much easier for them. They have a much larger, larger field to choose from. And so it's really about finding a vulnerability, finding a way to get into a company, uh, whether it's laundering money or just you know, making fraudulent purchases to resell eBay or, or other marketplaces um, or you know, whatever it might be. And it's sad, but it's exciting at the same time because for us, you know, we get to, to really analyze this and we get to take more time to, to look at how they behave and, and look at the, the things that they're doing to learn more about a merchant and how they're trying to analyze. Just like we're using technology to our advantage, well, they are now too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they're, they're getting more creative just like we get more creative. So it's an interesting battle. Yeah, I can imagine. So what are, what are maybe one of the most like surprising attempts or, you know, maybe it actually ended up working, but like, what are some case studies, stories of things that have been happening maybe within just the last, you know, six months that you've seen where you're like, wow, that was actually very impressive how they even got in, you know, through that door, what they were actually doing. There are fraud rings and, you know, these rings are like little companies. They're like a little enterprise and they all work together and they share the information amongst themselves to share a story with you, one of our, our clients uh, who was a prospect multiple times, but never actually decided to, to use our solution, they were hit by a fraud ring and cost them thousands of dollars, actually $120,000 uh, in one month. And because they're a fairly large company, they, it didn't even get noticed at first. Mm-hmm. That was the, the one month. Then the second month, they saw it starting to happen again. What was happening from the fraudster's perspective is they were able to get in place orders with stolen credit cards using the proper billing address, shipping address, and then they were able to follow up with the customer service team and change the delivery after it had already gone through. So after the purchase was made and now it's at shipping, getting ready to head out the door, they call customer service and make that change. And they were having these products delivered to addresses that were actually of um, unoccupied office buildings. And it was very successful. And the reason that this company actually figured this out is because they started seeing their products all over marketplaces. And it wasn't just one or two products. It was a lot of their Mm -hmm. products. And they started to to piece it all together. And that's when they said, hey, you know, we've talked to ClearSale twice now. We probably should talk to them again. Um, And they reached out to us. And then we sat down and met with their executive team and said, wow, okay, yes. Now, we explained to them what happened was you were essentially targeted and tested. So they Mm -hmm. tried, the fraudsters tried to see if they could do it. 
they have success. Okay, well, let's do another one. Just like, you know, we're working with a company on the software side, we create a test bed and we do some testing in the sandbox and what have you. Frosters do the exact same thing. They've run their test. They had success. And once that happens, they do one of two things. They either share that amongst their ring so they can all hit it and they profit as a group. Or they say, hey, you know what? Let's sell that information. And it used to be that they sold it primarily on the dark web. They've gotten, they'll sell it on some Facebook groups. They post it as we have this IP and we can share with you how you can do it and you can buy that information and they'll walk you through the process. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very interesting business in that, that dark web. But um, yeah, those guys are pretty creative. I have to admit, you know, they're, they're not short on intelligence. They're not short on technology. They unfortunately just use it for a, a bad cause. Yeah, man. Like if you would take those brains and put exactly. them somewhere and good use it use, for, could you for the good. Right. That's right. Exactly right. But um, but yeah, so that's that's one that we had we had recently. But yeah, it's unbelievable how much information gets sold on the dark web. So then I'm trying to think like if I'm a brand and maybe we'll even say for now, like if clear sales, not even in the picture, like how would I even identify that if I'm being tested, you know, or someone is calling customer service and changing that. It's like, how would you even be able to identify something like that without making the customer experience bad? Because, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like, okay, then customer service has to be on it. No, you can't change your address. Like it has to be, you know, however you ordered it, but then the customer experience isn't good. So like, how do you go about identifying that and also making sure that your journey for your customer is still good? Yeah. And in addition to that, you've got the issue of false declines. Because the way that a lot of merchants will, will fight, face this and, and battle it is through filters. Mm-hmm. They'll create some filters that will stop those orders. And it could be that, hey, we've noticed that we keep getting these orders from completely generic examples here. So no yeah. offense to anyone. You know, maybe they notice, hey, all of our orders from Alabama are getting redirected to Mississippi, and those are the ones we keep getting chargebacks on. Mm-hmm. So we're going to create a filter that says, hey, orders from Alabama don't come through. And so the problem with that is, yes, they are fighting fraud. Yes, they're controlling chargebacks. But now they've created false declines. Mm-hmm. So they've created a new problem by solving the fraud problem. In addition to those false declines, you've got the lost revenue as well as the customer experience, the impact on that customer. One of the issues with our current situation with with COVID and us as a society buying for others online, and and I'll share this story with you. Um, I was making a purchase. So my my boys uh, going to college, they find this beanbag that they have to have in their dorm room. I'm thinking it's a beanbag like what I had at that yeah. age, which was about $20 from the local Walmart or Kmart back then. And this beanbag is like a $250 beanbag. Mm-hmm. So this is a really nice beanbag that they found on Shark Tank. Of course. <laughs> I said, that's fine. That's fine. Right. I get it. You want to have a nice pad. I'm down. So I go online. I place the first order. I'm having that one shipped. And I couldn't buy both at the same time with two shipping addresses. It wouldn't let me. So I then get back in and I make the second purchase to send to Towson. That one gets declined. I wonder why it's getting declined. I, you know, obviously as a fraud professional, I'm thinking it's because I just placed an order, but maybe my card declined it. So I called my card and they said, no, it was declined by the merchant. So then I called the merchant who still hasn't sent me an email, 
hasn't called me, hasn't done anything. So I call them, I get to customer service and they said, uh, yes, it, it, your order appears to be fraudulent. So both orders have been canceled. I said, wait a minute. You know, I've got two sons, one's at this college, one's at that college. And it took me 30 minutes to convince customer service that I was a real buyer mm-hmm. with real kids in college. They could have easily just said no. Yeah. And it was very frustrating. And, and I've told that story so many times, being that I'm in this industry, right? Ultimately, they were able to get their bean bags, but they had never sent an email to me. They canceled the first order and never told me. So, you know, fortunately, the second one, they canceled it right when I made it, or I would have never known. And I would have told my kids, hey, bean bags are ordered. Keep an eye out for the delivery. That was, you know, $500 plus as a customer that they would have lost, plus the experience, plus the things that, you know, could have been said on social media and everything else. Now, if you use a service like ClearSale, that order comes through. It might get flagged because, hey, this buyer just made two purchases back to back, two different addresses. So let's look into that. What would happen is so it would not get auto approved. It would get flagged. Our manual review team would look at it. They would say, okay, it looks like two college addresses. They would say, hey, let's look at his social media. They would have gone to my Facebook page or my mm-hmm. Twitter and said, he's got two kids going to college. Oh, wow. He's got five sons. I feel bad for that guy. And they would have said approved mm-hmm. just like that. It, w- it would have taken as much time as I just explained that to you. They would have seen it, approved it and on to the next one. Those real people behind the scenes then who are actually going in right. kind of like mini creeping on people to make sure that this looks like that's right. Okay. Purchase. Got it. We, we, so we have 3000 people sitting there that are getting these orders sent to them that says, hey, there's some risk here. Look into it. They do the analysis and they say yes or no. Sometimes they say not sure, then it gets escalated to the next level to someone with a little bit more seniority and experience. But that's how we as an organization, we help our merchants approve more orders and recognize more revenue. Mm -hmm. We love to take advantage of that. and, And it's very hard for a lot of our competitors to be able to do that and approve as many orders as we do because we have the largest data lake. We've been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. We're international. And you know the fact that we can take an order and say, hey, that looks risky. We don't have to decline it. We want to take it and analyze it and make a decision to hope, hopefully approve it. Yeah. And, and that's how we end up being the leader in approval rates in the industry. But back to my original point, that is a great story to share because it happens to people all the time. Yeah. There's so many people, you make a purchase and it gets declined. And you're like, what did I do wrong? And you immediately think it's, okay, I put my card number in wrong, or I did my CVV wrong. What did I do wrong? Right. And you try it again and it doesn't go through. Then it's like, what the hell? Why, what's going on here? Right. And it's, uh, it, it becomes a serious issue with, with a customer experience and the lifetime value of that customer is lost. Mm-hmm. It's gone out the window. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health, 
and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So how do I think about then, you know, credit card companies? Because to me, they're kind of like the first line of defense. And then like, you guys are kind of the second line of defense. And then you've got the brand, depending on whatever they want to do, if anything. But how do I think about, you know, that whole flow of people who are now going to be involved with kind of helping me prevent this? Like what should the certain credit card companies to me seem great? I mean, I'm with Chase. They always are flagging things that are suspicious. I'm like, I don't even know how you knew that was suspicious. Good job. Other ones, not so great. I mean, there was times when my credit card got rung up like $10,000 and it never got flagged by another credit card company. And it was very weird stuff that was getting ordered. So like, how should a brand think about, you know, maybe putting in rules from the very beginning of like, which would also, I guess, hurt the customer experience. If you're saying you can only use certain credit card companies, like, how do I think about that? You know, the credit card companies, sometimes, you know, they can't even see it. Yes, it's Mm -hmm. a fraudulent order, but everything looks right. And so it gets past the credit card company, right? You know, a lot of times, you know, the credit card companies don't even see it, don't recognize it unless there is a unusual circumstance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you might be traveling from when you came to visit here in Maryland on your way back, you know, you hit another state gas station and then another state after that, or maybe on that third one, they flagged your card gets declined and you have to call them and they're like, Hey, what's going on? And you explain to them what's, you know, what you're doing, you're traveling and so forth. And then usually it's not an issue, but they can see that. Right. So that's an unusual circumstance. If someone were to steal your credit card information and go online, it's the, to the gap or, or whatever. Look and, like me. Right. It, it, they wouldn't know any different. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what makes it so hard for the credit card companies. Because they're looking at it from a consumer perspective. And then you've got the brand perspective that they don't have insights into where maybe exactly. a lot of things look weird at Gap, but they don't have access to that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. And so it's really hard for them to be able to see it. And that's where they started coming up with, uh, there's some other solutions that are being used today, like in Europe, uh, a solution called 3DS. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the banks and the cards have more responsibility. You might see a 2FA, a two-factor authorization on a purchase where you know you make that purchase, but before it'll go through, it sends a code to your email mm-hmm. or to your uh, text on your phone, right? So that, and that's becoming more and more popular. And that's how the credit card companies are starting to get involved and in, in trying to help out. Ultimately, when you get that credit card, you'll connect it to an email address and to your cell phone number. And as long as, you know, you haven't been hacked like your phone, mm-hmm. where that's how they got your, your uh, credit card number. But let's just say they were able to find it by hacking into a, a website you used it on before. Um, they probably don't have the details for your phone. And so they won't ever get that code and it'll, it'll just stop there. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the future. That's, that's where we're headed with, with some mm-hmm. um, of these fraud issues. But think about it this way. That's going to happen, and that will start to to curb some fraud issues. Then the fraudsters are going to change. They're going to make the adjustment. They're they're not static. Yeah, they are extremely dynamic, and and they'll come up with new creative ways to uh, 
to steal credit card information and make the purchases. Oh, I believe it. So when I'm thinking about, okay, for two-factor authentication, I want to kind of go deeper on that one because a while back, I read a whole article on like why you shouldn't even have that enabled. It was maybe back in my Google days, they sent it around of like, you think it's helpful, but actually it's actually way worse. And then they can access a lot more things with that. And so then I've always been in a weird state where, you know, in one way it feels safer. And then I always think back to these security articles where they're like, no, actually this, it can be way more um, intrusive and you can be hacked way harder if you have two factors set up. That's right. So tell me more about this because I'm still confused. So that debate still goes on today. Mm-hmm. So that, that hasn't gone away. And the problem is when you create that two-factor authorization, if it opens up the doors to everything, now you're at risk, meaning mm-hmm. you get hacked, right? Let's say your phone gets hacked. And today we have our, our face identification we can use. Mm-hmm. And if you don't use that, you could use your code to get into your phone. Well, if your phone gets hacked, they can still get in with your code. Mm-hmm. And even the way that's set up to get like into your banking apps, mm-hmm. that changes. If you used your code, the face is no longer available. Well, yeah. that just means they need your username and password so they can easily get into it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why they start talking about the two-factor authorization being so dangerous because... Once it gets hacked, it now opens up a lot of other doors that wouldn't normally be open. Yep. And so it's very similar in the credit card situation where, you know, they want to send you this code for you to validate the purchase. Well, what happens if, uh, as I was saying before, if they um, were able to get your credit card information through your cell phone by hacking your cell phone, mm-hmm. they have everything. So what will happen is that that code will come through, that that second authorization will come through. They'll have access to that. They'll see the code. They'll be able to then, you know, make more purchases because now, because it did pass, it won't get flagged. It'll definitely get past the credit card company. It will not get any attention at all. So that's that's the problem with 2FA. It could be really good, but if you get hacked, it's really bad because it just Mm -hmm. opens up so much more opportunity for the fraudsters. Don't let your phone get hacked. Step one. Yeah, exactly. Then <laughs> that's why it's very important. Your email and your phone, mm-hmm. super important. And especially because of gift card fraud, mm. we go online and, and we purchase gift cards or we get a gift card and we register it. Well, if we've been hacked and we don't know that we're hacked, but if we've been hacked and we get in there and we're doing all that information to register our gift card, well, guess what they were looking for? They're looking for that information. They're pulling it and bam, they use it in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. The balance is gone. And, you know, we've talked to people that said, hey, I just got this card today. I went online and it said I have zero in my account. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you, your email's been hacked or something's been compromised where they were able to get to it before you did. And they used it. Mm-hmm. And, and gift cards are very popular with fraudsters because there's very little tracking. Yeah. It's hard, hard to tell who uses a gift card. You really, you don't know where, mm. where it came from, how it was used. There's very little data to trace it back to somebody. Okay. I'll just never use gift cards. That's the rule for me then. <laughs> yeah. Well, the key there is if you buy them in the store, you've got to analyze that box because mm-hmm. fraudsters do have the ability to scratch off the pins on the back and then replace mm-hmm. the sticker. Mm. That's very common. Um, and so what happens is, they then run bots with the cards they've collected and they keep waiting for them to go active. And as soon as wow. it, it, the bot hits one active, bam, they take all the money off of it. 
Okay, so then, well, can your phone get hacked if it's in your possession? Like, can anyone yes. like VPN in any? Like, how would they get to it? Yeah, it's actually uh, it's pretty crazy, and you can you can buy some of these these tools on the internet, but they have uh, various readers. A lot of times, they'll keep it in a pocket. And what's it pulling? Like, what's it getting? Everything. It takes all of your information. So literally from you think about what you see in your settings as you go mm -hmm. through your settings on your phone, all mm. of that data is being taken and stored into a folder. Like maybe your passwords and stuff and like Google Chrome, it saves it on your phone. Yeah. Wow. When you go to Chrome, you can save all your passwords. So now every time I mm -hmm. log in, right, there it is. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is if they hack into you, they're getting all that too. That's why there's third-party password keepers. They are worth it. They are worth couple bucks a month to have those because it keeps it protected and yeah. they're completely separate. So they're, they're something to look into. But the other thing I wanted to tell you is they will keep it in their pocket. And for example, go to uh, Penn station in New York city and just walk around the train station and they will get mm -hmm. hits. And when it starts to pick up, it vibrates and they'll just stay there and, and do their download and then move on to the next one. And it's, it's amazing. Wow. And then, like I said, they will then take that, either use it for themselves or mm -hmm. they're a broker. And so they're in the business of selling that information and they just go out and collect it and then sell it. And that's why you get the cases, right? What that's are the right. cases called that you can put on there? Yeah. Well, there's a number of different cases that you can use. Um, mm -hmm. And they're very, very expensive on some of the cases, but well mm -hmm. worth it. Um, because okay. what happens is it essentially protects the backside of your phone so it can't transmit anything. But yeah, it's it's well worth it. It's a little heavier, but that's okay because yeah. I'd rather uh, know that my phone's safe and my information is safe. So are you not using Google Chrome then? Like every time you're going to log in, you're going to like one pass or what are you doing? No, I use, so I use Google Chrome, but I don't mm -hmm. save my passwords. Okay. I don't even use a password keeper. I'm not mm -hmm. doing any of that. This might sound crazy, and this is because I'm older. Um, I rotate my passwords. It's, it has a common name, mm -hmm. and then the numbers, the last mm -hmm. number will change, um, and I go by two. Mm -hmm. It's an odd number, but it, it'll be one, three, five, and it'll just keep skipping. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's how I do it. And so that sounds too intense for me. <laughs> every 90 days, it gets changed. And I have it set mm -hmm. up so that every 90 days, it requests a password change uh, okay. courtesy of Microsoft. And that way, I'm constantly changing it. Okay. So I want to also talk a bit about like voice because that also seems like a big area that can be infiltrated. I remember hearing that people are calling like the phone providers at one point and you can get a lot if you call, you know, Verizon or something. Right. You can kind of right. access too many details by doing that. So how do you think about that then? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. We as an organization don't do a lot there, but from personal experience, I do know that uh, that is very popular with, mm -hmm. with the fraudsters to get into phone records. And what's interesting is I'm a Verizon customer. I know for myself, they changed it where you had to have a four pin code. Mm -hmm. um, so even though you had your username and password, part of the 2FA was you had to have that code. And that's still true today. Even when you go in the store, you have to have that code. Yeah. And if you don't have that code, they're not going to talk to you about the account, which is good because I've, I've heard of people and I've had some friends going through divorces mm -hmm. that uh, spouses were trying to get 
phone records and you can and, track everything on there. You can exactly. see everything, all the text yeah. messages coming in. Yes. I'm not creepy, but I know you can. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And so, um, yeah, so that's another one that that's more on the personal side versus, you know, the business side. I don't, I don't know how much profitability would be in there from a mm-hmm. fraudster's perspective, but it's definitely something that they can use when it comes to uh, some of the ransom type setups where, you know, they, they, have your information. They have, you know, they tell you, here's your password. Here's your login. We've got all this information. Uh, you know, send us $5,000 or we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I had one personally, I guess this has probably been about four years or so. Um, we were on a family vacation in Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. And nice. I, I get an email that says, uh, you know, something like, hey, you've been hacked. And I'm reading this email. And I'm looking for a link thinking they're trying to get me to click something. Mm-hmm. And it was just telling me how they had my username and password, which they did. It was right. Yeah. They wanted $10,000. And mm-hmm. they gave me, gave me the information on how to send them the $10,000. I sent them a not so friendly response. And they responded back to my response. And then I responded to them again. And now you're friends. And then, right, <laughs> and then after, that, after that, I blocked, I blocked that email. But I definitely had fun with it for a while. They did that to my friend as well, where they had her password and they're like, we've got stuff from a webcam on you and here's a password we have and we're going to yeah. share it if you don't send money. And she was like, Steph, this is actually my password. And I'm like, I don't know how they got that, but you should change it. That's weird. Yeah. And see, they get that from the, from the dark web. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so we've heard about some of the breaches. I mean, accounts get hacked all the time. And I know that probably eight to 10 of, of my accounts that I've used for, you know, marketing things or sales things, you know, nothing important. And, and I have my non-important password that I use, you know, they get hacked all the time because mm-hmm. they're just not built to protect that information, unfortunately, and they just don't put money into that. Um, and so they get hacked. Once that breach happens, they sell it on the dark web and people then say, Hey, I've got a hundred of these. I'm going to send them out. They only need one taker to send them money and it was mm-hmm. worth the time right but yeah that's that's how that happens and they they get your real email all it happens all the time and and the, what's really cool is now you've got i know capital one does it i think citibank has started to do it as well they will tell you when they find your email mm-hmm. your social or your address that's the other one if they find it on the dark web, they'll give you notification and then tell you where it came from, mm. which is really cool because I just had one a couple of weeks ago to one of the, the tools that we use on the marketing side here at ClearSale. Again, it was my easy password, so it wasn't a big deal, but it's like myself and probably 50,000 other executives, mm-hmm. you know, how many of those executives had like their real personal password? that they used on there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's, it's being sold. So it's, it can be scary. I mean, it's amazing what these uh, fraudsters can do. They get a little bit of your information. Then next thing you know, they get a lot of your information. That's the world of the internet. That's the world we live in today. I can see your name on this uh, zoom call and then, you know, I can look you up and then there's, there's people finder and, you know, all yeah. these other memberships that you can have that will, Tell me everything about you. And that's scary. Very scary. So to pull myself back in and get back to a brand perspective, if I'm a brand and I'm hearing all this crazy stuff right now, what kind of metrics can I look at today? Like, what can I go in 
and look at right now that can start helping me understand, like, do I even have a problem with this right now? Yeah. What should I look at? So there's a couple of things that all merchants should be paying attention to. And these metrics will tell a story. And so what you do with that story is what matters most. So let me share with you some of the metrics. Chargeback rate, that's an obvious one, right? You know, chargeback mm-hmm. rate needs to be under control. For the most part, it should be in the neighborhood of 50 basis points or below. Most companies are, are in the 30s. And as long as they're 30 to 35 basis points, they're not in a bad place. Mm-hmm. We have some merchants that come to us and they're over 1%. Now your processor's looking at you like, hey, what's going on? Why do you have all these chargebacks? Because that's a danger too. You don't want to get in trouble with your processors because if you lose your processor, well, hey, now you can't take credit cards because you've had so many chargebacks. Because a lot of times, chargebacks will result in something as simple as item not as described mm-hmm. or item not received. And those two in particular, processors worry about because that means, hey, we're processing this order. It's not really what they're saying it is. That's a concern. Or it got lost. Well, how many times mm-hmm. can it get lost? Those become issues with processors. So that's, that's a big deal. So chargeback rate, approval rate is a huge metric. Understanding your approval rate. You know, for us as an organization, our merchants, we're above 99% approval rate. What's approval rate mean? That means out of 100 orders that comes in, over 99 are getting approved. Okay. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yep. Most merchants on their own will be around 90, 93 at the best case scenario. And that's using you guys though, right? Like that's using you to show. They're not using us and they're 90 to 93, right? And, okay. and that's because they're using filters maybe. Okay, that's what Got a lot it. of them will use because a lot of e-commerce platforms will give you the ability to, to create these filters. And, and I gave mm-hmm. you the example of Alabama to Mississippi. You know, so they'll create these filters that, if uh, billing doesn't match shipping, decline the order. Or, hey, we've had mm-hmm. a lot of fraud in Australia. So any orders from Australia, decline them. That's why their approval rate is typically lower. And that's why we don't auto-decline anything because we want to try mm-hmm. to approve them. That's our goal, right? We just want to approve as many orders as possible. So chargeback rate, approval rate. And when you start to understand what that, chargeback rate means, if you try to reduce your chargebacks, you're going to start declining more orders because you're saying, hey, that might be a little risky. That's probably going to end up in a chargeback. Let's decline it. Now, that mm-hmm. customer that let's say they were at 93% approval rate, they're declining more orders because they want to control chargeback rates. Now, their approval rates down to 92, 91, right? So, What happens is when you start looking at those two metrics, a merchant says, I don't have a chargeback problem. I don't have a fraud problem. I can, without a doubt, say, well, chances are you have a a false decline problem. What's happening Mm -hmm. is you're declining good orders so that you don't have a chargeback problem. And short term, that's okay. If you have this attack, something happened and now all of a sudden just chargebacks went through the roof, tighten the reins, close the doors a little bit, 
but immediately start to solve that problem because that's not the solve. That's a Band-Aid. And you can do that to stop the bleeding, but you then have to bring in someone like us or, or you know, just someone that has the ability to say, hey, we can start letting some of these orders come through because mm-hmm. we're going to analyze them. And we're going to better understand them yeah. and, and start to identify trends and, you know, orders that, you know, hey, we declined all these orders that were going to Australia. Well, let's find the trend in the chargebacks from Australia versus the ones that weren't chargebacks. Most merchants don't have staff to do that. Yeah. Are you able to look historically, like go to an org and look at maybe the past six months or something and be like, based off all the false orders that you guys were declining, here's how much money you actually lost because you declined these orders when they were actually good ones. Yes, absolutely. And so we get that extract. We'll say, hey, Mm -hmm. let's look at 12 months of your historical data and we'll bring that in. We give it to our data scientist team. They feed it into the machine and they start running through it and using our our data lake and using Mm -hmm. our technology, they start working through it and they say, hey, uh, it looks like we're at 98.9. Then we'll compare it to what the prospect did in those 12 months. And they're like, yeah, we were at 90%. Mm -hmm. Well, just using our technology will make it better. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about uh, a new customer, if we can get 12 months of their data and we feed it into the machine with our machine learning, that's like 12 months of experience with that, yeah. that new customer. So day one of going live with that new customer is really day 366. And yeah. therefore, the experience is better for them. The experience is better for the customer. And uh, we can approve more orders right off the bat. So very important from you know, a data standpoint. Wow, that's really cool. So what kind of data variables do you need, you know, if you're coming to a brand and they're like, okay, I have data, what do you want? Like what yeah. specific things do you need access to, to be able to kind of, you know, go Great back question. and question. Great question. By the way, we're hiring. So if you're interested, cause you're asking all the right questions, uh, I would love <laughs> to there add you to the mission. team. All right. Um, so, you know, all the obvious, right? So we're looking at that, the name, we're looking at the addresses, both billing and shipping. We look at the first few digits of the credit card, the last few digits of the credit card, we're looking at the IP, if they have that. Uh, we're looking at the product. What are they buying? And it's hard for a new merchant to us, a, a merchant that hasn't worked with us in the past, to give us much more than that. Okay. But once they start working with us, we get behavioral biometrics. So if you go to a website that is one of our customers, I can see where you came from. I can see if you looked at multiple pages. I can see what you compared product-wise. There are some behaviors that are on the positive scale. So it'll actually decrease the risk rate. And then there are other behaviors that will obviously make it look like a more risky order. That combined with all the regular data that we collect that you are putting into the system is how we're able to make our decisions. And we see all the time, we see email addresses that were literally created you know, the day before or four hours ago, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden they're making a $1,000 order. Okay, that's suspicious because you just created that email, right? So things like that will definitely be like, whoa, that gets flagged. Let's look into this a little bit. But the other thing for us is that email may have been created 30 days ago, which is still high risk, but we've seen that order two other places with two of our other merchants and we didn't have any issues and everything was fine. So we mm-hmm. know that it's good. 
right? Okay. And so that's why that data lake is so important. But yeah, so there's a number of data, data variables that we like to collect. And it's pretty much consistent across the board. doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, there's certain things that we need to know about the customer that helps us to make our decisions. Seems like pretty basic variables that any brand yeah, should have. Sure. So my last question that I just thought of, how often are you guys on the dark web buying the details to the newest schemes? Because I've read about that in other areas too, of like people posting things on Reddit of like a how-to guide of like how to do this, this, and this, or going on the dark web. And like you said, buying the manual of how exactly to hack someone. How often are you guys in that arena trying to figure out what's next in the world of hacking? So we have a team dedicated to that. We are on the the dark web 24 seven. We have a number of bots that we've created that are looking for keywords. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, we have a team that uh, that's all they do is they're reviewing that, analyzing that, trying to stay ahead of the curve and understand the trends because you know, like I said, the fraudsters typically follow the trends set by the fraud prevention companies. Mm-hmm. And as we start to make the changes, they start to adjust. But quite often, they try to get ahead of us. And so that's why it's important for us to be good listeners and pay attention to that. You know, we never have to buy anything. So, uh, you know, we, we don't do anything like that because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much information out there. We just want to know what's for sale. That's helpful. I bet you all have some fun usernames in the dark web. <laughs> so dark web is very interesting. It's it's the weirdest thing, I got to tell you. Um, I've only gone to it once and was like, I'm not interested in bouncing around on the dark web again because I don't want to end up in the wrong place. Yeah. So uh, so <laughs> due to my, my own fear factor, I stay out. That's probably for the best. All right, David. Let's move over now to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have 30 seconds or less to answer. Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. All right. First one. What's one thing you wish you understood better? Parenthood. Yeah, same. (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) Right, right. I told you I have five sons. So to give you a serious answer, um, I would probably say more technology from a data scientist standpoint, meaning mm-hmm. uh, spotting trends and identifying what the numbers are telling us a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. I am very big into the numbers. Numbers tell great stories. They never lie, um, yeah. but, but you can always be better with your numbers. Yep, I agree. That's definitely a big trend that everyone is turning into data scientists, but now there's even more yes. to do and there's more yes. data and overwhelming. Exactly. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? If I were to have a podcast, it would it would probably be about e-commerce and mm-hmm. how to safely start your e-commerce business and grow that business, which mm-hmm. by the way, I am currently writing a book on that exact topic. So Nice. What's it called or what will it be called? It's probably going to be called, we're only on the fifth chapter, but it's probably going to be called the e-commerce playbook on how to build your e-commerce business. But yeah, that's, that's what I would do for my, my podcast. Mm, I like it. Maybe we'll partner with you. I'll let you awesome. know. <laughs> what is the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I think probably the best thing I ever heard was in order to get your team to do the things you need them to do. They have to believe in you and showing them that you can do it just like they can do it carries more weight 
than teaching them how to do it. Mm-hmm. Show, don't tell. Love that. Exactly. And so as an owner of a marketing agency, that was something that I had to really work on. And I learned a lot about marketing for that very reason, because our staff was full of marketers. You know, I was a sales guy at heart. So I had to understand that so much more so that I could jump in, I could be a part of it and, and create those marketing plans, create that go-to-market strategy and, and be involved just like they would be. Um, and, and that definitely created that, that relationship that was respected. Love that. That's a good one. All right. And the last one, what's up next on your reading list? My reading list. Yeah. You know, what's funny. My wife just got a new Kindle and Mm -hmm. she asked me to download a couple of books. And I was just recently looking for some new authors and I'm torn between the blue man is the name of the book. And I forget Mm -hmm. the name of the author, but I'm torn between the blue man and the one not received. Ooh. To fiction, I don't typically read fiction. I read all technical type books. Mm -hmm. And and these were two books that came up as recommendations through Amazon Prime. So I think I Mm -hmm. might have to go down that path and check them out. David, thank you so much for coming on here, hanging out. It was a really fun chat. I feel like I learned a lot personally. And I'm pretty sure from a company perspective, a lot of brands will get a lot out of it. So thank you. Where can people find out more about you and ClearSale? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To learn more about ClearSale, you can visit our website at www.clear.sale. S-A-L-E. Me, you can find me on the web. Uh, It's Not the dark web. That's right. Not the dark web. Pretty much uh, any social media platform. I'm listed as Fletch, the e-com guy. So you should be able to find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn and Twitter. And then you can always reach me via email at david.fletcher at clear.sale. Perfect. Thanks so much, David. Great. Thank you, Stephanie. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.